See in the bulletin where it just says sermon. That's because I was fishing Monday and Tuesday. Um, my brother, my dad, and I went up to uh, Broken Bow, Oklahoma to fly fish. And while we were driving up there, it actually took an extra hour and a half to get there. You know why? Because the bridge over the Red River at 529 was washed out. Uh, if you haven't been up there in a while, due to all these rains, we were on the Oklahoma side, and we were miles away from the river, and at four-foot, five-foot fences, barbed wire fences that were used for pasture land, farmland, just fields. The barbed wire at the highest rung was littered with trash and grass and weeds. That that's how high and how powerful the water had been miles from the Red River. Uh, when we got to the stream that we were actually fishing on on Monday morning, we saw 100 yards plus of boulders and rocks piled high in a valley. I mean, it looked like a bulldozer had come in and bulldozed it and piled it up. So much so that I said that had to have happened. And my brother who's with me, he says, no, the water did that. And we had this argument, and I hate to say it because it's now recorded, but he was right. <laughs> the water did that. The force of the water did that. And can I just do a timeout real quick? Pete is obnoxious even to fish with. <laughs> My dad and I are enjoying a nice lunch with our homemade turkey and ham sandwiches and a nice adult beverage, and we're just, we're just enjoying ourselves. And when he catches a fish, everyone in the valley hears it. I turn the corner, and he's like, this and of course, we were like, oh, what story is he going to tell about the fish that got away? And it sure was, you should have seen. <laughs> yeah, classic. Anyhow, those of you who know, fish could appreci- uh, know Pete, who is a fish, can appreciate that story. Those of you who don't, I'm sorry, you don't have the privilege of knowing him. When the day we got there, we actually met a fellow fly fisherman from Texas, and he said that the stream had so changed. He said that when he saw it, he almost cried. The water was so powerful, it literally restructured and permanently changed the course of the valley and the stream. Water has the power to deeply change your life. Water is 70% of the earth's surface. Water fills oceans, rivers, lakes, right? Water is in the ground. Water is in the air we breathe. Uh, Texas had 35 trillion gallons of rainfall this past month. And that's not with the ones we've had these past two weeks. So add that up. That's eight inches of the state of Texas covered with water. Waco uh, had 25 consecutive days of rain since May 5th. This broke a record that had been 20 consecutive days. It was set back in 1922. Water is everywhere. It's in every living organism. It's in every living thing. Everything (laughs) consists of water. An elephant and an ear of corn are 70% water. You and me are 75% water. Without water, there is no life. I want to welcome you to a story about rain. A story about how water can permanently change your life. And how without it, there is no life. Please stand for the hearing of God's word.
First Kings 17, 1 through 7. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Oh God, we ask that you would, by the power of your spirit, shine on the page. We know, and we're coming to understand ever more personally, that your speaking and your acting are the same thing. That where your word goes, you go. That your words are living. Your words are water. And we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, so water is life, right? So what Elijah is saying here is pretty disturbing, isn't it? Look at verse 1. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. That's a pretty disturbing thing to say. And God's the one that's saying it. God is turning off every spigot, every faucet, every water cooler in Israel. No more rain. Why is he doing that? Why would he do that? Uh, Ahab is the king of Israel at this time. In chapter 16, you get a lowdown on him. Uh, in 16, it says this about Ahab. Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. That means more than his dad, Omri. Now, Omri held the evil title before Ahab did. And in fact, it said of Omri, he did more evil than everyone before him. His son now does evil more than everyone before him. How evil is the evil? You know, the Assyrians, the Assyrians were the world power at the time, and the Assyrians... Remember Nineveh with Jonah? The Assyrians eventually wipe out the northern kingdom. Uh, ISIS is taking the strategies of evil that Assyria developed. They were an incredibly evil, barbaric, brutal nation. Their idol, their god, was the god of war. And they formed and conformed to that image rather perfectly. And you know what's interesting? Do you know what Assyria said of Omri, Ahab's dad? They didn't call Israel Israel, which every nation around them called Israel Israel. They called Israel the house of Omri because they were so impressed with his evil. And they did so for a hundred years. So for Ahab to take the title from his dad is a pretty big thing. Why was Ahab such a bad guy, though? What was his problem? Did he have concentration camps in Israel? Did he murder six million people? What did he do? Well, first king tells us, quote, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ithbael, king of the Sidonians. Now, Jezebel's dad, Ithbael, was a worshiper of Baal who murdered his brother to become king. So here's the first lesson. 
Uh, guys, don't ever marry a woman named Jezebel. Very, very important. Let's move on. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Baal was the God of rain. Literally the God of storm. Baal was the God of universal blessing. Every personal, relational, land and life, fullness and flourishing and happiness and goodness and favor came from Baal. Your deepest needs in the ancient Near East, if you were an ancient Near Eastern person, your deepest needs, your deepest longing for happiness and for fullness and for security and for flourishing and for favor and for a sense of worth and meaning and value came from Baal. Baal is the God of life. In Ahab's heart and in Israel's heart, Baal replace God as the one who sends the rain. And in God's eyes, this is incredibly evil. When Baal replaces God as the one who sends rain, as the one who gives meaning to the life, as the one who gives energy and power to life, as the one who makes you come alive as the one who gives you your deepest joys and meets your deepest needs. God says, the Bible says, that's sinister. It's twisted. It's the most perverse thing in the world. In God's eyes, that's original evil. Primary evil. And every human evil flows from that great exchange. When a nation or an individual, say Dylan Roof, looks to their race to send the rain instead of God, looks to their race to be their good, to be their meaning, to be their power, to be their influence, to be their status, to be their security in life, other races are seen as inferior other races are seen as a threat. Other races are separated from and then eventually abused. Other races are not loved. Other races are not welcomed. Other races are not treated as incredible image bearers too. When, when we look to race to send the rain, evil multiplies. When physical beauty is looked to to send the rain, when physical beauty is looked to to give your life meaning and looked to to give your life the good and looked to to give your life happiness and flourishing and favor and fullness instead of God, women have distorted views of themselves. And this leads to eating disorders. And this leads to self-loathing and hating yourself. This leads to the deepest kind of insecurity you can have as a person. And then men have distorted views of women. 
Some men go on the holy grail quest of trying to find the perfect woman their whole life, and that's why they never marry. Lesson number one, all they have to do is apply their standards to themselves. Look at themselves, right? That's why it leads to pornography and sexual sin and sexual addictions. Aging people have distorted views of themselves when physical beauty is looked to descend the rain. They go through endless operations to try to stop the inevitable power of physical breakdown. And then you get a culture that devalues and dehumanizes aging people. When physical beauty is looked to descend the rain, evil multiplies. Now, we could say the same thing. We could plug success in there. We could plug performance in there. We could plug trying to be a good person in there. We could plug money in there. We could plug anything in there, and it would be the same thing if you and I looked to something else, a bail to send the rain. Evil multiplies in our lives, in our relationships, in our spheres of influence, at our work, in our communities, in our institutions, everywhere. So here's what the passage requires of us. You ready? Here it is. It's as abrupt as as Elijah showing up. You notice how Elijah shows up in verse 1? No introduction. No sense of who is this guy. He just, now Elijah. That's what it literally says. Now Elijah. Literally it says, now he says, Elijah. So he's abrupt. He shows up. The message is as simple as the first sentence. Now Elijah says. Here it is. Stop looking to a bale to send the rain. Change your heart. That's what this passage is requiring of you and me. That's what God is requiring of Israel. Stop looking to a bail to send the rain. Change your heart. Right? Now, some of you are thinking, listen, Jeff, I've tried that. I'm on my 100th attempt. If this is you, just a couple of questions to help move us along here. If this is you, why so many attempts to change? Is the issue in your effort? Are you not trying hard enough? Is that the reason? Or do you have the wrong kind of effort? Instead of going through, like reading your Bible more, or praying more, are you, are you investigating your spiritual gifts more? Do you need to change the kind of effort you engage in? Why so many attempts? Stop looking to a bale to send the rain, change your heart. Others of you are thinking, I'm not. I don't have a bail. I live for God. I love God. I obey God. Uh, if this is you, I've got a couple questions for you. Do you know that, that worry and anger is an emotional signal that you have a bail in your life? Did you know that um, lack of joy is an emotional signal that you have a bail in your life? Did you know that not being a generous person is a behavioral signal that you have a bail in your life? Stop looking to a bail to send the rain. Change your heart. And some of you are thinking, I can do that. I will do that with God's help, of course. 
if this is you, I just have another couple of just, just questions. I'm just stirring the pot. I'm not bringing, am I bringing any answers? No, and that's frustrating the daylights out of you, I know. But that's part of my job, and that actually gives me lots of pleasure. Some of you are thinking, I can do that. I will do that with God's help, of course. Here's what I want to ask you. What does that change look like for you? If you can do it, and you will do it, how are you going to do it? What does that look like for you? And then if you're going to have God's help helping you do that, what does God's help look like? Does it look like asking for it? Asking for God's help? Well, then what do we say to the person that's on his 100th attempt or her 100th attempt to change, and they've asked God 100 times to change, and God's not answering? What do we say to them? Stop looking to a bale to send the rain. Change your heart, the passage calls us to. And some of you are thinking, God is to blame. It's God's fault. God doesn't help me. God doesn't care for me. God is why my life is so messed up. If this is you, again, I just got some prodding questions, that's all. When God stops the rain in verse 1, when you look at that, look at verse 1. When he stops the rain in verse 1, it's a physical symbol of a spiritual reality. What God is doing is he's showing what is spiritually taking place in the heart, and he's just making it a reality. They're looking to Baal to send the rain, but Baal has no rain to send. Baal can't give meaning. Baal can't give flourishing. Baal can't give fullness. And God says he can't. There is no rain in Baal. Don't blame God for the lack of rain. Blame Baal. Baal has no rain. In fact, what Baal ends up doing is breaking you down. Disillusioning you, disappointing you, and leading you to despair. Stop looking to a bale to send the rain. Change your heart. And there might be one or two of us in here saying, that's impossible, I can't do it, I won't ever do it. I have bales. I deserve drought. I deserve no rain. I'm guilty. And Elijah says, you're close. Really close. You see, what's required in this text is a lot harder than we think. Changing your life is a lot harder than you think. But here's the wonderful, incredible rain in the passage. It isn't hard for one man. There's one man in this passage obeying God, two through seven. There's one man in this passage who does not bow a knee to Baal, two through seven. There's one man in this passage who's looking to God to bring the rain. There's one man in this passage who looks to God to fruitify personal lives and relationships and land and societies and 
cultures. He's, there's one man in this passage who looks to God to send the rain. In fact, the rain itself hangs on this one man. Look at verse 1. There shall be neither dew nor rain these years except what? By my word. Did you catch that? Elijah's word and God's word have fused together, have mixed so much so that they become the same thing. And then years later, a better Elijah comes along where his words are God's words. Perfectly. And unlike Elijah, he obeys God perfectly. And unlike Elijah, he never, ever, ever bows before Baal. And unlike Elijah, he doesn't have a happy ending. He doesn't have ravens come and spare him. He doesn't have a widow spare him. He doesn't have a brook spare him. He dies in a drought. Jesus is the only prophet to whom God said, look, obey me, and as a result, I will send the ultimate drought upon you. Obey me, and I will condemn you. Obey me, and I will judge you. Obey me, and I will send no rain to you. And Jesus obeys. He obeys. Because he loves you. Jesus obeyed for you to take your Baal worship to the cross. To pay the evil for looking to a Baal to send the rain. Jesus became your perfect record of no Baal worship. Do you get that? Do we get that? Just like Elijah did, he actually didn't bow to Baal, and he did it not for himself. He did it for you and me because we do. And now, you're no longer, when you trust in Jesus, your identity, your status is no longer a Baal worshiper. It's blameless. You're blameless. You're perfect. Only when we see that Jesus did not bow to Baal as Elijah did for us can we begin to change. Can we begin to not bow before Baals? When we see that he didn't bow and he didn't bow for us and now that he secured that kind of perfection and that kind of acceptance and that kind of power and that kind of identity because he's done that, I now have the ability beginning to have the power to not bow to a bale. We bow to a bale because we believe that the bale will give us rain, not Jesus. We bow to a bale because we believe the bale will give us security and happiness and flourishing and fullness, not Jesus. But when we see that Jesus didn't bow so that he could give you flourishing, so that he could give you perfection, you now have a power that can break 
that kind of power in your life of bowing to a Baal. Only when we see that Jesus' work and his words send the rain, do you notice that Elijah's work and words send the rain? Only when we see that Jesus' work and his words send the rain to us can the rain fall in our lives. There is no other rain. Your activity of reading the Bible isn't the rain. The Bible itself isn't the rain. It's the Jesus of the word, the word that is the rain. You can read the Bible and I could read the Bible and look at a character and see it as a character that I either need to imitate or be an example of or you know, if it's like Moses, yeah, be like that. If it's like David when he's on the roof and he sees Bathsheba, don't be like that. And we can read the Bible that way. Do lots of reading the Bible that way and you will get no rain. But if you read the Bible as if the primary hero and subject of the story is the worth and the words of Jesus, heaven opens up. The rain comes down. You start experiencing meaning and value and perfection from someone else. His love actually begins to flood your heart. Now, some of you, I know, right now, I know, I know you. I know some of you feel unreachable still. And a lot has to do partly to the evil that's been done to you. And a lot has to do partly to your own mess that you make. Welcome to Ahab's Israel, if that's you. Welcome to the lowest, welcome to the darkest, welcome to the most desperate time in Israel's history. Now, I want you to look at verse one like you're hearing it for the first time. Now, Elijah. Elijah suddenly appears. No introduction, no preparation, no warning, no warm up. No, here he comes. No, look for a promise. He just shows up. He's just there. Elijah is all of a sudden there with power, and he's all of a sudden there with life, and he's all of a sudden there with grace. He's all of a sudden there because the rain is coming. Stop looking to a bale to send the rain. Change your heart by the words, by the work, by the wonder.